Hey, welcome to the VSM TV Sermon Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope as you hear the message, it inspires you and gives you faith to see how God is moving in your life. Enjoy the message. This week is Worship the Lifestyle. If you're taking notes, you want to put that on your notes. Worship the Lifestyle. Not Worship the Lifestyle. Worship, there's a, I don't know if that's a semicolon, whatever it is, a little thing Bob there. Worship the lifestyle. So the sermon's intent um, tonight is, I want to answer this question. What does worship look like in our lives, and why do we do it? What does worship look like in our lives, and why do we do it? Before we get started, I want to pray. So let's bow our heads, close your eyes. Father God, I thank you for tonight. God, I thank you for the opportunity that we can come in this place together. Um, and Father God, I thank you that the power is not in the numbers, God, but as the number, it, it, the power is in the numbers of those who agree and come in agreement, Father. Father, I pray that tonight we would agree that your scriptures are true, that your scriptures are powerful and they're powerful in our lives, God, and that it reflects, our lives are just reflections of your glory, God. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to see something new tonight about worship, what it means, God. And Father, I pray my words are not my own, but they are yours, God. Use me in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. So if you weren't here last week or if you don't remember last week, I'm going to kind of give you guys a review of what we talked about with the, um, the worship, the action. We talked about what worship looked like and how David showed us what passionate worship looks like. What it looks like to go all out, if you guys remember, is uh, one of the sayings that we said. So this week, we're going to be diving deeper into this topic and find out what worship looks like and how we live and why we even do it. Why do we even do it? What, is, what does it look like in our lives? So we know we come to church. We, co- we come to church and we lift our hands. You know, we're worshiping. We just got done worshiping. But what does it look like when we're outside on the streets at school? What does worship look like then? I also want to start tonight by reminding you all what the definition of worship is. And according to Webster's, excuse me, Webster's Dictionary, it says this. Number one is to honor or reverence as a divine being or supernatural power. And number two is to regard with great or extravagant respect, honor, or devotion. I like the first one, though. To honor or reverence as a divine being or supernatural power. Worship is not just an action that we do, but it is also a way that we live. I'm going to repeat that for somebody. Worship is not just an action that we do, but it is also a way that we live. Worship is not something that we come to church to do. It's not just that but it's how you live every single day, every single minute, when you're in school, when you wake up, when you're eating dinner, when you're hanging out with friends and family, it's who we are, it's how we live. And so tonight, I'm actually gonna start here at the beginning with the four principles or keys um, that I usually conclude with. So if you're writing notes, um, I'll go slow here because I'm gonna start with it tonight. Number one, Excuse me, I'll back up a little bit. There are four things that a worshipful life requires. 
So I guess you can call it the four requirements of a worshipful life. There are four things that a worshipful life requires. Number one is it requires you to be someone after God's own heart. A worshipful life, number one, requires you to be someone after God's own heart. Number two is it requires you to listen, kind of like what you guys are doing right now. <laughs> it requires you to listen. Number three is it requires sacrifice. It requires sacrifice. And here's a good one. Number four, it requires repentance. It requires repentance. So number one, requires you to be someone after God's own heart. Number two is requires you to listen. Three, requires sacrifice. And four, requires repentance. If you got a Bible in your hands, turn to Romans chapter 12, and we're going to be right there in verse 1. Romans chapter 12 in verse 1. Romans chapter 12 in... In verse 1. When you get there, say holla. Dang, y'all are, are there already. Romans 12, verse 1. Everyone there, yeah? yeah? Sweet. It says this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When I read that word transformed, I immediately think of transformers. I'll admit that. Uh, turn to Acts chapter 13. Just a few pages to the left. Acts chapter 13, and we're going to read verse 22. 13 to 1 to 2. All right, 13, Acts 13, 22, it reads this. After removing Saul, he, did, he made David their king. God testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. So I'm going to be talking a little bit about that first requirement, being after God's own heart. What worship is and what it does is say God is the highest. God is stronger. He is the strongest. That's what worship is. That's what worship does. It's saying, God, you are stronger and so much greater than the issues, the struggles, everything that I'm dealing with, God. You are bigger than that. We're declaring that when we live a life, we are declaring that when we live a life of worship. See, it's easy to do that when we come to church because we're in the community that we are. I mean, it's easy when everyone's lifting their hands to lift, their, to lift your hands and say, yeah, God, like, you're, you're greater, you're better, yada, yada, yada. But it's hard to do it when you're on the streets. And that's what's different between coming to church and doing the action of worship compared to going on the streets at your home, at school, and living a life of worship. And if worship is honoring God, then how do we live a life that reflects that? What does, what does that even look like? What does, it look to, what does it look like to live a life that honors God? 
If worship means honoring God, then what does that even look like? A life that is transformed and renewed by God is what that looks like. A life that shows that we are a person after God's own heart is what that looks like. I'm going to share with you guys a little story. You guys, you guys like stories? This is a story about myself, so it's actually not about myself. But um, As all of you guys know, I went to Portland Bible College, PBC, and something that probably few of you knew, I actually worked in the kitchen there. And I, as much, like, who likes food here? Raise your hand if you like food. Okay, good, everyone, because we need it to survive, and it tastes good, usually. Not always. I still don't like vegetables. Okay, actually, I love vegetables, but I hate fruit. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, that's the reaction I usually get. Gasp. <laughs> um, but my sophomore year of PBC is when I started working in the kitchen, and I'll tell you what, working in, kitchen, or working in the kitchen and around food absolutely sucks because all of the terrible things about food, like the smell and the leftovers, is what you're left with, and you get to clean it up. Um, fun fact, I also worked in a Mexican restaurant, and it was, I always went home smelling like disgusting Mexican food. It was terrible. But anyways, I started working at the PBC kitchen, and although it was a job and I got money, it was not the most fun. It was definitely a humbling experience. Um, but something that a lot of people don't know when I worked at the kitchen is that I was the only American. Everyone else was international. Everyone. We had uh, Mexico, Brazil, Peru, Japan, South Korea, so many different countries represented. And I was the only American. And oftentimes my, my Indonesian friend, Bumi, would call me American. Or he'd also call me Miller Paint, which I guess is like, a reference to my last name, but I don't, I don't understand Miller Paint. Yeah. But anyways, I was called American because I was the only American. And uh, I got close with a lot of my coworkers, um, obviously, because it's a close community. And we started doing something. We went every Thursday. We decided to go every Thursday to a coffee shop called Barista, a.k.a. my favorite coffee shop in Portland. And we went every single Thursday after school, after lunch, actually, and we went and had, quote unquote, what we called deep theological talks. And I absolutely, this was probably some of the most fun times that I've ever had at PBC was these things. We would have deep theological talks and we would talk about crazy things like aliens, like UFOs, like demons, ghosts, all of the craziness. What does the Bible say about dinosaurs? What does the Bible say about aliens? Like, what is all this stuff? And we would have these crazy talks and um, it was just a blast. But after a few weeks of doing these things, one of my friends became known and actually really notorious at PBC for doing some weird things. Every single time that we went out to the coffee shop um, that we went to, Barista, and we had these talks, he would legit go up to random people and just pray for them. Just in the middle of conversation, he would just stand up and he walked around the corner. I remember this one time we were talking and he would just leave in the middle of conversation. Like, you're saying something, and he just left. This one specific time, he was engaging with the conversation. He was talking, and he's looking at me, making eye contact, which is usually like you're in a really deep conversation when you're staring at someone, making eye contact, moving your head, you know? And then all of a sudden, he like looks up and then stands and walks away. And I'm like, I look at the people, I'm like, what just happened? Is he okay? Like, did he just like, have diarrhea or something? Does he need to go to the bathroom? Like, what just happened? And he went around the corner. I have no idea what happened. I'm like, what just happened? Where, where is he going? And one of, one of our friends, he, he looked at me. He's like, oh, no, bro. He's just going to pray for someone. 
I'm like, how do you know that? He's like, because he does this all the time. I was like, what the heck? <laughs> like, he was mid-conversation. Like, we were talking about something. And all of a sudden, he just gets up and leaves. I started to realize something very different. Something was very different about this guy. And what that was, was he was a man after God's own heart. He's just different. There's something about him that just ticks different in his mind. He's a man after God's own heart, much like David. This dude was not just about lifting his hands in worship at church, but he was always doing more. He was what some people called extra. That's a word that people still say, right? Extra? No? Okay. <laughs> he was what some people would call extra. He would go above and beyond. What you thought was like the norm, he was always outside of that. So moving forward, number two. So we're going to be talking about that listening requirement here. There's a, a book author named Zig Ziglar. How about that name? Zig Ziglar. <laughs> he writes a lot of books on how to become successful, usually around business and, and stuff like that. But in a lot of his books, I actually, to be honest, have not read any of his books. But from what I've been told, this is what he talks about a lot. Um, but Zig actually talks, apparently, <laughs> in, a, in a lot of his books, how to be an active listener. How to be an active listener. There's a different, difference between hearing and listening. If I were to define it myself, I would say that hearing is when you hear something and that's it. End of story. You hear it one ear out the other, doesn't go anywhere, doesn't stick with you. Maybe you actually even remember it two days from now, three days from now, a week later. But you do nothing on it. There's no action, there's nothing. End of story. But listening, I would define as this. Hearing something and acting on what you hear. That's how I would define listening. Hearing something and acting on what you hear. There's an action. If I was talking to you and you make eye contact and engage by nodding your head, you are confirming to me that you're listening, right? Have you guys ever had a conversation? I learned this sarcastically with my parents, to be absolutely honest, when they're talking to me and they're like, yeah, so blah, 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 and I'm just nodding my head like, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, yeah, like, can we end this conversation so I can play PlayStation now? Like, that's how I, that's how I, I learned how to do it. Terrible way how to do it. Don't ever do that, please. If you ever do that and you're being sarcastic, I know it because I used to do it. So, <laughs> so I know, I got you. Or if I told you to open the door and you did it, then that would mean what? That you listened to me, right? Because there was an action. I said, hey, can you open that door? Um, and, and you listened to me by doing it. I just asked Austin earlier. I'm like, hey, man, can you be a stud and get me some water? And he listened to me, and he brought me back some water. Thank you, by the way. Um, I would be dying up here if I didn't have that. So my question for you is, how often do you listen to God? And how often do you just hear God? How often do you actually listen to God? When he's telling you to do something, how often do you actually listen to him? Or do you just hear him and say, yeah, God, like that's a good word, thank you. I'll remember that. But you don't actually do anything. You don't take any action. Because he's always speaking to you, but are you listening? When you listen, there is action taking place. There is always action taking place. Just like my friend from the kitchen, he was so close with the Lord that when God told him to go and pray for someone, he got up from wherever it was, whatever it was that he was doing, and he went and did it. 
He could be mid-conversation, mid and I still look up to this man so much because I don't under, I'm still not at that level where I can be just talking to someone and then like in a snap, I, I'm like, oh my gosh, that homeless man needs prayer about his knee. Like I'm still not at that level. I strive to be as my prayer. But what are you doing? Are you listening to God or are you just hearing God? Because listening actually takes some effort. It takes action. Point three, sacrifice. Sacrifice. To live, a life worship, to live a worshipful life, it requires some sort of sacrifice. I want to reread Romans 12.1. You don't have to turn there, but I'm going to. It's Romans 12.1. Romans 12.1. It reads, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. See, in the Old Testament, I'm going to give you guys some, uh, some free Bible college training. You guys ready? You guys like, you guys like free stuff? Yeah? yeah? This is 100%. This is free 99 right here, okay? Free 99. That's a joke at Adidas, and it's actually really annoying. Um, in the Old Testament, there was this thing called the Tabernacle of Moses. How's that for a word? The tabernacle of Moses. And in the tabernacle, there was a, a little thing called the brazen altar. The brazen altar. Where people would come and bring a sacrifice to the Lord. They would bring animals to sacrifice, but thankfully, obviously, we don't have to do that anymore because Jesus came. Um, his, through his death and resurrection, we don't have to do that anymore. But although we may not have to sacrifice the blood of animals to God, we still have to bring something to sacrifice. See, back in the good old days of the Old Testament, the people, if they wanted to meet with God, they, they had to sacrifice something to get things right. There had to be some sort of bloodshed, but through Jesus' death and resurrection, the blood that he shed, we don't have to do that. Come on, someone say amen. That's something where you think. Amen. Although we may not have to sacrifice a goat or a llama, I don't know, whatever animals they had back then. No, I'm kidding. They didn't have llamas. Um, although we don't have to do that, it doesn't mean that we don't have to sacrifice something. The Bible talks about dying to your old self and being alive to your new self in Jesus. Dying to your old self. What does that even mean? Dying to your old self. Dying to your old ways. And, and living in your new self in Jesus. And we read here in Romans 12, 12 verse 1 about the living about being a living sacrifice it says to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice a living sacrifice I love that because that means it's a daily thing because that means that we are living as a sacrifice amen. that we're not here to come to church and have a good service and say amen but it's actually a living thing it's an every single day thing it's hard but it's so worth it Four is repentance. Repentance. Let's turn to 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel, that's in the Old Testament. Let's go over to 2 Samuel chapter 11. We'll be right there in verse 1 too. 2 Samuel verse 11. When you get there, say whoop, whoop. Whoop, whoop. Hey, there we go. Chapter 11, verse 1. This is what it says. So we haven't really talked much about David tonight, but we are going to. Don't worry. 
If you guys don't know, David's talked about quite a bit in the Bible, obviously. So we're going to hear a little bit about how he messed up, <laughs> to say the least. Let's read it in verse 1. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. Okay. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. Okay, real quick, I'm just going to pause there. If you're ever, like, seeing someone bathing, you should probably just, like, not send someone after her or him. Like, just turn around and be like, that never happened. But David goes out and sends someone to find out about her. The man came back and said this. She is Bathsheba. <laughs> Bath, get it? <laughs> yeah. Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Nice, dude. Then she went back home. The woman conceived a.k.a. conceived a child, and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. So, this dude not only sees someone bathing, but he sends out for someone to find her, and then he brings her to him, and then he sleeps with her. And on top of that, she gets pregnant. Wow, okay. How, like, what is this, like a new movie called, like, How to Mess Up Your Life? I don't know. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. Verse 6. So David sent, sent this word to Joab. Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked, asked him how Uriah... Uh, excuse me. I lost my place. When Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were, and how the war was doing. I lost my place again. Oh my gosh, I need my glasses right now. <laughs> and how the war was going. Then David sent, uh, said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace, and a gift from the king was sent after him. So we're going to skip a little bit, all right? We're going we're gonna to jump to verse 14. Verse 14. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it, he wrote, put Uriah out in front where the fighting is, fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. Wow. Okay, so this is the worst way to cover up a problem. I guarantee you, if you have an issue, don't kill someone. I, I know, right? I, I feel like they should probably teach that. Like, what, what, like... That's just not what you do. You don't kill someone to cover up something that you mess up on. That just makes sense, right? Amen, <laughs> someone. Um, so David did this terrible thing, absolutely terrible. We're going to hear more about it. Turn your page, if your Bible does that. Um, we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 12. So just right to the right. Right to the right. Everything you want is on the box to the right. That's the way the song goes. <laughs> 
chapter 12, and we're going to fall into verse 7. So here comes uh, a prophet named Nathan. So David do just does this terrible thing, and if you don't know, God has anointed David over Saul. Um, David is like the big hot shot. He's the king, and God has blessed him up until that point to get him to where he, ne he needs to be. God has abundantly blessed David. But then we have Nathan come along on the scene, and in verse 7 he says, it says this, Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. He was referring to something that he was saying in the first six uh, verses here. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king of, over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you, and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah, and all of, all of this had been too little. I would have given you, and if all of this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I am going to bring calamity on you. Wow, that is heavy stuff. But I mean, doesn't David kind of deserve that? Like, that was honestly what he did in that one chapter is, that's something that you could only think of. Like, you can't even think of someone doing that. That's just so bad. So Nathan the prophet comes and he rebukes David for his terrible sin. And after this happened, David writes something actually in Psalms. So let's flip over to Psalms. Psalms chapter 51, verse 1. When you get there, say, I'm dare. I'm dare. Yeah, but I don't know. It's not like, it's not, it's not like I'm there. It's like I'm dare. It's Psalms chapter 51, verse 1. 51, verse 1. Who's there? Let's get it. Psalms chapter 51, verse 1. 51, verse 1. So after what David did, after what Nathan said, David writes this in Psalms chapter 51 and verse 1. He says this, Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Cleanse me of my sin. He writes a whole chapter on that, guys. I'm, I'm only going to read the first two verses, but if, if you look, the rest of that chapter, he's crying out to God saying, Cleanse me of my sin. I'm sorry. He's repenting is what he's doing. He repented to God for his sin. He felt bad. Holy Spirit convicted him. He said, God, I messed up. I sinned against you. I hurt you. I'm sorry, Lord. If you ever want to know how to repent, how to apologize to the Lord, how to turn away from your sin, how to repent, just read this whole chapter. It's so good. It's so good. You could honestly read that whole chapter and just sit, read it from your heart to God. 
Look, none of us are perfect. Not you, not your neighbor, not me. I'm most definitely not perfect. And we all mess up. And maybe you're saying, yeah, but I've never done anything like this. I've never done anything close to what David did. You don't understand. Like, I, I'm a pretty good kid. Like, I lie a couple times a week. That's about it. I don't steal anything. I don't curse out anyone. I don't fight. I've never gotten in a fight. I'm a pretty good kid. Maybe that's what you're saying. And while that's probably true, the Bible does say this. We have all fallen and come short to the glory of God. And it also says that the wages of sin is death. You sin and I sin. But what sin results in is death. It brings death. Regardless of what that sin is, it could be what David did, and it could be as simple as lying to your mom about doing the dishes. Sin leads to death. And that, that right there is why we need to repent. That's why we need to repent and run to Jesus, who covers us and brings restoration to our sin. That alone is why we need to do that. The way that we live a life that is transformed is by repenting and turning from our sin and into Jesus. The way that we live a life that is transformed is by repenting and turning from our sin and into Jesus. If you're writing notes, I'll say that one more time for you. <laughs> the way that we live a life that is transformed is by repenting and turning from our sin and into Jesus, running into Jesus. Well, we hope you enjoyed today's podcast, and we have a couple things that we would love for you to do. First, we would love to have you subscribe to our channel so that you can be updated whenever the latest message comes out. And secondly, if you want to stay up to date with all that's going on in Viral Student Ministries, you can always follow us on Instagram at viral underscore student underscore ministries. And with all that being said, we hope you'll join us next week on the vsm.tv podcast.